We're gonna stay here all night if we have to, so let's get started. It's time, America, for the number one conservative common sense podcast that's calling out all the social justice, political correctness crap, and putting it on the run. Do you think you can handle it? So hop in and buckle up and get ready to ride with two straight-shooting, tell-it-like-it-is ex-street cops. And they know how to party with few inhibitions. As they give the special interest and weak-kneed politicians a swift kick in the ass. Wow, is that legal? With some good old-fashioned common sense. Bring it on, baby. It's Cop Talk USA <laughs> with your hosts, Marillo and French. Well, hello, everybody. I'm Roger French. Welcome to Cop Talk USA. I'm here with my good buddy, partner, Dave Marillo. Frenchman, how are you? I am uh, pretty good, pretty good, pretty, pretty good. Great, I'm, great. Uh, I'm excited, excited. Cyclones, number nine today. Yeah. Number nine yeah. in the nation. A team that won two games. Yeah. All last year are now number nine. Oh yeah, that's cool stuff. Oh yeah, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. How about you? How's your How's your weekend? Great. Uh, we celebrated Christmas this past Saturday evening with the kids and grandkids because that's the only day that worked for my kids and right. Linda and I's kids to be there with the grandkids. So yeah, we got that eleven grandkids. I'm starting a GoFundMe page to help pay for. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I saw I uh, saw a picture oh, of yeah. all those kids. I'm I'm trying to counting my fingers and oh my gosh he's got a bunch there's of them. A, there's 11 of them and they range from like six months up to like 11 or 12 now how do you do that every kid gets a gift you you go by yeah my age. wife bless her heart she handles christmas you know uh she does four or five gifts for each kid and then we give some money to each one of the yeah. our kids and their spouses so it, she does a great you job every sell spreadsheet it's all graphed out well, i think linda might yeah she's, you know, she's a shopper we, yeah, oh yeah she, oh she does the shopping thing and i think the fedex man hated our guts well i yeah <laughs> i you know i bought some stuff from fedex for you know i got the kids and grandkids yeah. and i'm not gonna say what i got them no, because obviously they no. might listen to the program yeah. but uh I uh, I feel pretty good about my yeah. DL this year. So, yeah. uh, so. you know, I, this is our last show before uh, we're going to be done for, what, two weeks? Yeah. Then we come yep. rip we'll back, back in 2022. Recharge our battery. You know, Roger, after tonight, I won't see you till next year. Oh, I'll change completely. I'll, I'll be completely. <laughs> I like, but I do want to see a, a New Year's Eve picture of you in your best dress. Yeah, you're, well, you're gonna be w- waiting a long time <laughs> in the in the ball. I mean, speaking of that, what do you guys do for New Year's? Do you go out? You know, now I'm gonna be 65 coming up here in March. Medicare eligible. So there you go. that's the mile marker, man. Get that health insurance monkey off your back. But we just sit around the house, watch TV. Linda fixes a few snacks. Some some of the kids might stop by, you know. We may even watch a grandkid or two if their parents are going. Right, out. so that's right. kind of kind of the way our evening. Well, goes. you know, it just seems like uh, everything going on. Uh, a lot of people, I think, staying home. There's, I don't see that many parties. There used to be. It would, yeah. would be the night to go out and you know rip roar. I call it amateur night. All the all the rookies <laughs> yeah. who who never get drunk yeah. all year. That was their night to go go get crazy. But uh, yeah. I think it's kind of toned down a little bit. Well, uh, especially now because they have another variant of this. What is it? Omicron or what, what's this oh, new I don't know. The, COVID the, variant? The Dave Marillo. Yeah, you, know what it, you know what it sounds like? An action hero figure. It's I'm Omicron. <laughs> well, it's it's out. I saw that. And they say, oh, and it's hard telling. First, they say, hey, you're vaccinated. Yeah, you're going to be yeah. fine. And, and I don't. And then I hear it's not going to be. It's not as bad as what's currently out there. Yeah. You know, they're they're trying to preview it like a movie. Coming yeah. this fall, Omicron. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, New Year's Eve, though, is, uh, yeah, we're is okay. a fun time. I usually... Uh, Stay home, cook, 
you know, uh, sometimes I entertain, sometimes I don't. Yeah. Depends uh, what I got going on in my life. Yeah. Go get yeah. a nice prime rib. Of this hot... year, this year, be like buying a car if you want. You got the hot tub rib. this year, Raj. So don't get all messed up and go out in the hot tub and drown for Christ's sake. The hot tub time mm. machine. <laughs> 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 so, uh, David, you know what? You know, let's talk a little sports a little bit. All right. Have you seen? Uh, and I know we're cop show, and, and we'll I apologize we'll to there. all listeners. This kind of goes into it. Yeah, uh, yeah. but uh, do you see where they're talking about uh, where Texas is paying their people? They're, they're, and I, I think it's next year you're, they're uh, uh, proposing paying these players $50,000 a year salary to play. And I, 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 I hear this. I've always, I've always maintained that they should pay all Division One, all Division One AA athletes a livable per diem during the sports season, but $50,000, this is just my opinion. That's way too much. But, you know, conversely, the argument can be made. These stud athletes, whether they go on to the NFL or the NBA or whatever, they make their respective universities filthy rich. So, I mean, I understand that point too. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a real cloudy thing. Couple things, you know, if you're going to play football, pay a football athletes, you know, are the other athletes going to demand money? Are they going to you know, demand same pay scale. Number one, number two. I just don't want this to become something between the haves and the have-nots. And by that, I mean the bigger schools have the money to afford to go out and pay higher salaries or higher, whatever you want to call this, uh, fifty grand, where another school may can only pay ten. Mm-hmm. So I think what needs to happen is somebody needs to step in and say, okay, if you want to pay players, here's the deal. You know, this is a uh, what it would be eight, ten thousand dollars, whatever, something that every school can can pay. And, and provide, and that's going to be Division One because you get Division Two and yeah. Three. Their schools aren't going to be able to pay that. Yeah, and I, you know, because of my youth football endeavors, I have actually been to in person a place where usually only a select few people can go. I've been to the NFL Combine numerous right. times right. out at uh, Indianapolis, and in order to get there, folks, you got to be a stud among studs so you want this competition piece in college ball you want all of them to be playing against each other personally and team to team so you get the best of the best because the average shelf life for an nfl player do you have any idea whether that is right no it's not very long three years yeah at best well you know i i just I don't like deep downside. It troubles me about paying college kids, but on the other hand, I understand these kids need to should make some money. So maybe there's ways to say, okay, we're going to pay for other services, health. I don't know, and I I don't know the deal. I just know when you have schools throwing out fifty grand to a high school kid to come play football, and then all of a sudden, what what's next? We're going to get into bidding wars for these players. I don't want to see that. They, they need to have some guidelines some, and put some caps on some well, things. Well, te- Texas, since they're opting out of the Big 12, they, they'd be better off spending that money on salve and cream for their fannies who are going <laughs> to get their asses kicked. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. Yeah. But on the other hand, too, you know, you go against Alabama and LSU oh, and those yeah. schools, they've got money. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah. that's it, – it's, it's a little crazy. The other thing I want to get into, and this falls along the same lines, is there was an article that came out. And uh, Massachusetts State Police Union, for the state troopers up there, mm-hmm. are all over the NFL. Mm-hmm. And uh, evidently, uh, the NFL is back to supporting uh, organizations that are anti-law enforcement, defund the police. That old narrative that, that was out a year or so ago, yeah. they're still doing it. They're yeah. giving money. Yeah. And, and, and I don't understand 
how the NFL can get behind those people. They're pandering. They, yeah. they think they're doing people a favor by pandering to folks of color. And what they're doing is they're just making jackasses out of themselves. Because like I said numerous times, as a Hispanic, right. I don't need any liberal white person, male or female, looking out for my brown self. You go pander someplace else, and that's what they're doing. And they're also a day late and a dollar short, Roger. Well, that, that was big last year. And that whole movement has fallen flat on its fanny. Well, they're giving money to organizations that, that you know, espouse anti-police rhetoric. Mm-hmm. And when you support somebody who supports that, what are you doing? I, I remember before all this happened, they couldn't climb over first responders. Remember every football yeah. game was yeah. first responders holding the flag and doing mm-hmm. this. And then they just do it. A complete 360 mm-hmm. after this George Floyd garbage started. And and now they, they've gone the other way. And what it just appears... Like well, just, it's 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 hypocritical too because if you go if you've been to an NFL game and I know you've been to tons right, of right. them, they have cops working on you know on the field in the parking lots. Police officers are all over the place. Well, I th- I just think that if you're going to take that position, you know somebody's going to all of a sudden. And I think these these unions need to go out there, and if you've got an NFL team in your town, you need to make it. Done. We're not going to work your we're not going to work your games, mm-hmm. and we're going to tell we're not going to attend your. Your, your football games as, as fans, mm-hmm. and we're going to ask anybody who supports law enforcement to support because it makes me not want to watch it. You know, I ran the Des Moines Police Union for six years as chief union steward, and, and, I, and I will tell you something. If you're one of these dipsticks who believes we don't need police officers, then why don't you have your legislators write language that allows police officers to strike? And right. then you let me know how that works for you. Oh, exactly. It's illegal for police officers to strike, and for good reason, because they are the most critical core service government provides in the United States at the local municipal level. Let us strike. See how that works for you. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you, they don't have to work off-duty. No. And they ought to shut this down right now. Yeah. And uh, and I and, and I, I bet it's not on a team level. I bet it's on a league level. And by that, I mean, I bet you have owners in cities like Jerry Jones mm-hmm. in Dallas yeah, who supports a, law enforcement. He's a stud. Supports uh, the American Waste. Yeah. Supports that. And, uh, it, you know, it's, this is New York. This, uh, this is uh, the commissioner up there. And they're just, I understand you have majority of your football players are people of color. I understand that. But, you know, and I didn't mind, okay, you want to put signs on the back of your helmets that say diversity or whatever, that's okay. But when you come out and support people that disparage law enforcement, that actively go after them, and there's numerous cases of BLM, it's a criminal thug organization, I'll say it all day long, mm-hmm. uh, and you won't, and, you, and I dare anybody to come on this program and challenge me to talk about it, because yeah, I'll, I'll point out 10 million things. About in 34 and a half years in police work, I only saw two officers in that 34 and a half year time period that used inappropriate racial epithets in a professional setting and they got rid of them both. There's this desire to try and paint police officers as racist or thumping or, you know, nightstick heavy. And it's it's the narrative and ideology of people who have no idea what they're talking about. Where they're a day late and a dollar short. Yeah. You know, and they always seem to be, you remember when... uh, uh, who was the guy that was running the pit bull, the dog? Uh, oh, Michael. Michael Vick. Yeah, yeah. He was running that. And then all yeah. of a sudden, it took him a while, but then they came out and mm-hmm. condemned him. Hey, you should have been on the front end. Do you wait? It seems like they wait for something to come up, and then they jump on board and want to be this big community activist group. Uh, they need to wake up. Yeah. The, you know, they well, really they, need they to wake spe- up. They could better spend that money by continuing to pump funds into their CTE 
programs and research because that's real. That yeah. affects their players. That's their bread and butter. It's a violent game, and if you want to spend money, NFL, spend it on your own players and put money into research and treatment for chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Yeah, and, and I'm going to say this to these to these groups, if you really want to help your communities, it's not defunding the police. It's funding them, giving them more tools, supporting mental health in mm-hmm. there. We had Chris Scott on last yeah. week, oh, and, he, and he was guy. talking about how Des Moines is is adding a clinic yeah. guy in in there, and and that makes sense. Yeah. Support that. That's that goes hand in hand. They want to add a, a a guy in dispatch that can talk about to the officers when they get that. Maybe I I guess even go out on scene and help. Or training an officer like Chris has. They, they, he trained one of his officers. Well, if you think about it, for decades, people who were violent but had emotional problems, the bottom line was sending a police officer there. And that's right. not always the best thing to do. The police will go with the mental health care worker, the mobile crisis worker, but the two go hand in hand. And police officers' desire is never to take somebody with mental illness to jail. They need to go to a treatment center that's funded by your respective state properly. But I but I promise you, every violent trip you go on, and you've been on this just as I, and you've gone on a domestic mm-hmm. and you've got and you, or a shooting or 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 something that where violence has occurred, those people have mental issues. Whether well, whether it's just created or what it, yeah. every one of those calls and has a mental And a lot of times uh, they're under the influence of illegal narcotics. Or alcohol. Yeah. Or alcohol. So, you know, people get violent. And, you know, what I wish I could do, I wish I could take some of these sissy Marys that are on CNN and MSNBC and grab them by the scruff of their neck and shove them into in front of some of these violent people because they're always the Monday morning quarterbacks on how police work should be done or done better. I like to see them get their asses kicked yeah. and, and then talk to them the when, next when day. You, when you go up and you got to fight a guy, mm-hmm. and now and now everybody has a camera, so you're fighting for your life because you know if he gets that gun, he's going to kill you. Oh, yeah. you got to fight him, and, and things don't go quite right, and all of a sudden he gets hurt, and then you got these people criticizing, well, you, maybe you could have done something. Our, our jackass president, Mr. Wound him in the leg or yeah. shoot the gun out. <laughs> their hand or what an idiot i i saw he's uh he's on the the uh stump uh i saw an article today he was out uh kowtowing uh talking about uh police reform and yeah and uh, you know yeah, he, bottom line is with biden and anybody with two cents worth of smarts can look at him and tell that he's not right in the head and the uh, the left wings have buyer's remorse for putting him in office we have two catastrophic failures in the oval office absolutely absolutely well, uh, uh, Bob, I think we want to go into our segment, We Lost a Couple Officers. Our fallen officer segment. We lost two, which is still too, too many, but it's a better number than what we were going. Uh, but I, before I go into these two, I want to make everybody well aware that you know, COVID is still, uh, we don't have the time to go through all the COVID deaths. There's just so many of them that, yeah. COVID, that COVID's taken. Uh, and one thing I did notice today, I was looking at them, and some of these guys that are passing away of COVID are younger guys. Mm-hmm. These aren't these yeah. aren't 40 and 50-year-old guys. They're in their 20s that are going. So I, I hate doing that, and I, I just want to apologize. But Zachary uh, Cottingen, Cottingen, I think I'm pronouncing that right. He's from uh, Louisville Metro Police Department. He was killed in an autom- automobile accident. Uh, he was investigating an abandoned car and was struck on I-64 there, Louisville. He left a uh, wife and two children. They had to lose him. And we had a second one, and this one, uh, kind of unusual, but Jailer Robert Daniel is his name, and he was uh, through Grove County, Kentucky. He was uh, 
down there during the tornadoes, and they were evacuating, and they had about 100 people. They were evacuating, including jailers and everything, and he was the last one out, and uh, before he could get out, the roof collapsed and killed him. Yeah. And that was a tornado that came in on top of all those people that were passing yeah. away. We don't lose very many officers due to weather, I don't think. But this Yeah, you know, it, it, it happens, but we, we, you just hate losing these dedicated blue suits, the men and women who are out there 24-7, and, 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 and Daniel was survived by four daughters, three sons, seven grandchildren, two brothers, and a father. Mm. So, I mean, that's a we hate to hear that. Well, then that. what hits home for you and me is uh, yesterday we learned that Des Moines PD lost a heck of a retired detective in Jim Rowley. Yeah, we were great, just, just great talking guys. about Jim. Yeah, yeah. He's a, if you remember a few episodes back, folks, uh, we had John Shaver on, and John Shaver and Jim Rowley were best buds for decades. They could work a homicide case better than anybody. And Jim retired. Jim Rowley retired in 2001, and we lost him over the weekend. And it's, it just leaves a void that you just can't fill. He was known as Big Jim. Big, Big Jim. Jim. And he yeah. was a he was hoss. He was everything. I mean, yeah. And a hell of a good guy. Oh, he's a great guy. Great and wife and a pretty damn good detective. He was. He, and he, he loved to tease people. Right. Uh, and he loved to have it thrown back in his face. How long has he been retired from? Uh, he retired in 2001. He'd been down there, boy, what, 35 years? I, I think he left with about 30 years on. Um, I, I had the honor and opportunity to work with him and John uh, for, you know, four or five years right. before they retired there. They, they come on in the sixties, but yeah. you know, guys like me who came on in the late seventies, we had the honor and just dubious distinction of working with post-World War II uh, hires who were on the way out retiring and a lot of Vietnam vets. So every time I think about my police career, so far as the time I was there, I just couldn't feel and be more blessed to have worked I, with those men and women. Like yeah, I, I just, like I said, I remember the first time I met Big Jim, he was going out on a search warrant. He looked like there was a cop show that was on in the 60s. And he, yeah. had the, he had the big trench coat, and there were a couple of these guys, three or four guys, and a couple of uniform officers, and Big Jim had a big shotgun with him, and they were going out on a, oh, yeah. on a yeah. uh, they were going to make somebody's day real yeah. quick. And I yeah. remember seeing him, and, and it was just like, uh, wow. He I used mean, to love my cartoons. He, li he liked to be poked fun of, and Shaver and I used to you know flip him grief about wearing Hoss's hat on Bonanza. Because he was a big man like old Haas, you know, and he just beamed with. Pride. You know what I would have liked? I would have liked to been Jim's partner in some of those trips, bar fights, going in with Big Jim. Because he just come in, he fill the door, yeah. going through the door. Yeah. And if you're fighting, you want to fight the cops, especially today. Yeah. What would be interesting would be to see today's protesters dealing with the way things oh, used to be handled it, it back in the seventies and sixties. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't go well for the protest. No, it was, and see a guy like Big Jim having them yeah. get scream in his face that lasts about two seconds. And yeah, they'd be they'd be a foot off the ground. Well, it wouldn't have gone well for them when you and I were on the street yeah. either. We just you just you, you didn't have to take that kind of BS off people, uh, but. You know, we 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 weren't thump heavy. No. If we were assaulted or, or somebody struck us, you know, we used force back. But when the fight stops, the fight's over. Yeah, you know, yeah. Real simple. Well, we always had a thing. You know, I knew the the old saying was, you know, the South Side guys would run from you, 
The East Side guys would fight you, and the West Side guys would complain on you. Yeah. That was kind of the deal. Yeah, they'd fight. So you kind of knew who. The yeah. East Side guys, you could get into a fist fight with a, with a guy, a burglar there, or yeah. and, and fight, and pardon my language, beat the crap out of him. And he'd never complain. He'd, he'd, oh, that's a good, that's a good officer. You know, he he beat me fair and square. Now the West Side guys, you say you say something mean to them, they complained yeah. on you. And the, the South Siders were all burglars. They just run. I remember a real them. real tough street cop I worked with who, at the end of the shift, we'd go down to Howard Johnson's on Ingersoll, and he had to have extra powdered sugar on his French toast. Hey, hey, easy with that, easy with that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we got a great show coming up yes. tonight for everybody. I want to let everybody know that we got John Quinn, uh, Chief of Police Waukee, coming on uh, very very, very shortly. We're doing that. Uh, we're going to be gone for two weeks. We're taking off. We'll be back on the 7th, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, coming back there. And uh, so stay tuned. Well, uh, now I want to go into a segment. And it's, we're going to change it up this week. Mm-hmm. We're going to do, instead of doing our ass hat of the week, we got a little something different going we on do. this week. We something do. new. Now it's our rock star of the week. Coming on, yeah! I can't That was awesome. I'm going to do uh, my rock star. Okay. If you will. Okay. I, I don't have an ass hat this week. I know you do, Roger. But um, <laughs> you know, uh, oh, I always do. <laughs> I always do. But I've got an I've got a genuine rock star this week, and I would be amiss if I didn't talk a little bit about him. And I'm referring to uh, Senior United States Senator Joe Manchin. Right. Joe Manchin is my rock star for parting ways with the progressive left of his of his party. He put politic party aside and voted no to Biden's crazy $2 trillion spending bill. Right. And, and here's the analogy I'm going to use if you, if you have a little hard time understanding what, what Biden and these goofballs were trying to do. Say you make $50,000 a year, okay? Yeah. But you have the ability to use charge cards up to the collective point of a million dollars. So you go out and you charge up a million dollars when your annual income is $50,000, and you end up paying interest on a million dollars forever and you never touch paying off the principal that's what they were trying to do and then the thing's full of pork it's full of all sorts of crazy zany left-wing stuff that doesn't make any sense the environment aoc that the squad kind of crap goofy stuff so so bless his heart mansion had the wisdom and foresight to say hey enough's enough we're done i I just wonder yeah I, i don't know much about his state there he's from but I think West Virginia, coal they miners vote, out there, they got they some voted overwhelmingly for Trump. So you know they're conservative, mm-hmm. and I, like I said, we talk about the blue dog Dems. They're, they're, they, there's, love there's good love Dem- blue dog Democrats Dems. out there. Yep. I uh, uh, he's certainly reigning in Joe's parade. I'll say that. <laughs> uh, but uh, Joe Joe doesn't know he he doesn't know if he's on foot or horseback. Well, I know? I think and I did see some people a squad crying about. Yeah. Oh, they're going to be all upset, and this is going to backfire. I, you know, when people in your own party start rolling against you. You know, uh, here's how the squad can get their spirits back, French. I'm just going to throw this out, okay? Oh, this why, do, why don't they just get in a, in a government-provided airplane that burns fossil fuel and fly out to San Francisco and have a smash-and-grab party and get all their Christmas Go to the left coast free? and have yeah, at it. Yeah, yeah, go out there, you know, to Gavin Newsom land or, oh, yeah. or fly out to the East Coast and do the same thing. <laughs> or, or stop by Chicago. Why pay for your Christmas oh, presents. It's, it's, well, I'm, I'm glad. I, yeah. I, I'm Sky's glad for Mansion. I almost wanted yeah. to call his office and say, look, support. 
But I hope the Republicans don't get too much behind him because I think they'll hurt him. But I don't know. I, I think common sense is starting to kind of come yep, back a it's, little bit. It's, it's rolling back. Just like we saw against yep, the anti-police thing. Yep, that's, that's kind of going away and common sense is coming back a little bit. Still got a ways to go, but but anyway. Yep. Yeah. So that, that's my uh, my segment there for this week. Well, I'm proud of you, Dave. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> well, next, Bob, we've got a guest. I want to get him on. guest i want to introduce him he's a friend of mine he's uh, certainly on the right supports the right school he's, mm-hmm. he's an isu guy <laughs> he's a friend of mine for years john quinn from waukee john hey, how hey. are you today i am doing fantastic you know I, I just want to say this it is an honor and a privilege to be here with the two of you oh boy wow <laughs> i'll tell you what it's, it's one of those things i'm going to check off the bucket list you're, you're, you're both together neither one of you are in jail yet so you're both <laughs> you know john all the years i was on kioa and then who uh, maxwell shay for a good friend of mine you're familiar with max yeah he called my style acerbic and that's i think a nice way to say i got a big mouth oh uh, yeah not that, at all i don't know that we can't <laughs> kind of say that i don't know it's an else. educational moment for me that's all there, i can there, tell you well put chief well put <laughs> how's uh how are things first off before we get into this let's talk lisu stuff because i'm excited you're excited oh, about yeah, that absolutely now you used to do the radio program for the football game I did. Football teams. Yep. Sideline broadcast and then a pregame show. And that was through, uh, was that through Clear Channel or not? Yeah. It was yep. it Clear Channel. And you retired from doing that. I did. This year? Uh, two years ago. Two years ago. Because of my wife. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Just, uh, it was, it was a tragic situation. She said, give the radio up or move out. So. Well, you can, yeah, you got the, the real boss stepped in. Well, you were, you were up there and that's when, uh, Campbell started getting good and well, he's been good for a while, but he's getting better and better up there, you know, yeah. uh, talking about that football program. Of course, we got the basketball program doing great. As my son says, basketball is back, dad. I love it. Oh, <laughs> what a shocker. Shocked everyone. You and I were up there at the game the other night. You yeah. see, we saw how good they go. I was up there, uh, uh, Monday and, and, uh, or Sunday and, and saw him playing there, diving for balls, shooting oh. for things that, you know they I, practice that. Is is he not going to be the 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 top coach of the year in the NCAA? Oh, yeah. He's got my vote already. Most I don't know what the comeback coach of the year. I don't know what you want to call him. But you know you take a team that's two of whatever, and he becomes a top ten team the next year with all new people. I mean, yeah. I don't know where you get that. Anyway, well, well, we need that's leadership. leadership. I guess that's it what is. it is. Now, how does that tell me? And you and I have talked about this mm-hmm. before. And we talked to Chris Scott about this, and we've talked to Dana Weir about this. You hire some athletes, don't you? Some ex-athletes over on the uh, for the police force. You've got Iowa players. And yep, Iowa, Iowa State. State. You and I, uh, Storm Lake. You got yep, them all there. there. Do you do you find those guys make great officers? I know they do. You know, and they is it does the sports and and I obviously all the officers you hire uh-huh. are great, but do the ones that come from athletics do they do a, uh, have a sense of competition or is it competitive or it's not that it's they know what adversity is they they know how to face it they know that uh the work the dedication the commitment the excellence that it takes to be successful the big thing is is that when they get knocked down on their knees right they pick themselves up they prepare themselves for the next day and they make sure that they don't repeat or allow things to happen again it's just uh, i love their work ethic i love their mentality Mm -hmm. um yeah some of the most successful businessmen have been influenced by athletics you know chief uh, roger roger broke the glass ceiling at des moines pd years ago he was a croquet champion yeah and they hired him and so i thought it was badminton (laughs) that's that's an olympic sport now yeah yeah 
The uh, well, I know Dave. You know, and that that tra- translates to athletics in general, whether it be college athletics or yeah. or high school. Life. You know, the military, and, and life. life, the military. What it, yeah, it teaches you a lot about life. It teaches you, you know, to me, it it, it develops a heart and soul inside an individual. You know, a passion for something to to show that. A dedication, a commitment, a work ethic actually pays great dividends. Right. And if you can recognize that, they also teaches you, you know, there's a difference between pain and injury. Well, you've uh, done you've done that. Dave ran that program, Westmore. You talked about that numerous times. Yeah. You had Alan Lazard in your program. Yeah. He, what, yeah. Did, uh, he, Alan Lazard played for my youth league for four years. Yeah. And out of the tens of thousands of kids that went through that over the 17 years we ran it, he was the only one who made it to the NFL. That shows you... How how the odds are stacked against oh. you, but he but got those, there. But those kids still benefit from those oh, from that athletics. Oh yeah, well we had a lot of uh, of our kids go up into Valley and Waukee and and other places where they did well, end up at the Unidome, and some went on to Division One mm-hmm. college. But boy, it, you just gotta really really believe in the big man upstairs and work your fanny off if you want to crack at the NFL. Well, but it's that 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 just isn't even a realistic dream in my mind. It, yeah. it truly. You know, those individuals that ascend up to that level of play. I tried out with the Denver Broncos. Mm-hmm. Had a great time. One thing I learned about it was that there are each team has a few exceptional athletes that are just truly blessed, Bingo. gifted. Yeah. And then all, all the others, they work their butts off. Mm-hmm. They truly do. Mm-hmm. They know the price they have to pay, and they know how tenuous their situation is on that roster. And so with that, they're not real welcoming to – to rookies because of the fact they know that you're, they're trying to take their job away. And it is just extremely competitive. And I'll tell you what, that's the reason why you see guys play with seven, eight, nine knee injuries mm-hmm. because that truly is what they want to do and they want to be on that field and they're willing to pay that ultimate price. And it's it's sometimes it's sad, but, you know, others, you know, it, it truly is reflective on who and what they are. I told Roger before you got here, Chief, I've been out to the Combine, the NFL mm-hmm. Combine. Yeah. And when you're sitting in that stadium, Lucas Oil Stadium, and you're watching the cream of the crop and the Division One studs who are there at the invitation of the NFL coaches to showcase your talents, you don't know what a stud is till you go out there and sit down. It's like, oh my goodness, yeah. well, it's unbelievable. The the uh, and and I want our listeners to know we're just not talking. And John's just not talking about talking about this off his off the cuff. You've done it. You were you played for Iowa State. Yep. You were you were all Big Twelve, Big Eight, Big Eight. Excuse me, yep. back in Big Eight, and uh, yeah, like you said, you got you went the to camps. You did it all, and and we're a hell of a quarterback up there. Well, I appreciate that, but you know what? It I, I'm a reflection of a product of a really of a good athletic program at Dowling High School. Transcended into my success. My foundation came from my dad. I mean, mm-hmm. just the the fact that I wasn't the most gifted athlete, but I'll tell you what, there was nobody that was going to outwork me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he taught that. He instilled that into me. What year did you graduate from Dowling? 77. Okay, so you knew Mike Foji. Oh, yeah. And I Ray Gallardo. Mike. I love those guys. Great <laughs> Southside guys. Yeah. Man, I'll tell yeah. you what. They were tough. Yeah. Oh, man, they were tough. And you know, they're... Mike Foji, monster competitive weightlifter. <laughs> yeah, he he became a doctor. Oh, I know. Yeah. He's your doctor, isn't he? Is he your doctor? <laughs> he's, got his, he's got his work cut out for him, big boy. He's got his work cut out. I think he was a urologist, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he's a proctologist. Yeah. I think. Dave goes and sees him regularly. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, it just you just never know what path of travel life has laid out for you. No, but it, uh, it, athletics gives you a great chance and an mm -hmm. opportunity. It, the one other thing too, athletics teaches that you know the academic aspect of life too, and how important that is. Yeah. And so with that, it gives you the discipline to know that it's a delicate balance between your academic achievements and your athletic. And so all of that put together. It gives you an opportunity to be successful in life. Agree. You know, one of the toughest time periods of my life was in the fall of 78, going through the Des Moines Police Academy, because it was the classes there were tougher than any college courses I ever took. Then the physical training and the mental uh, aspect of that. Mm -hmm. I'd come home every day, have to study again, but beat. I mean, I just fatigued. But they're building you up so you don't quit in the heat of the moment when you get out on the street. Well, you know as well as I do, the moment you give up, you die on the street. That's right. That's right. You can't allow that. No. Yeah. Hey, John, talking about your history and, and stuff, now before you were chief in Waukee, you were with the DCI? Yeah, Division of Criminal Investigation. Yes, yep. How long were you there for? 31 years. Now, was that your initial law enforcement job? That was it, yep. Went, yep. Uh, was graduated from Iowa State, tried out with the Broncos, came back, worked at Bankers Trust for about, nah, about a year as an internal auditor, accounting right. degree, and then... Uh, my dad taught at the Iowa Law Enforcement Academy, and he was a legal instructor out there. And he got to know, of course, a lot of members of the DPS, Department of Public Safety, and then also sure. the Division of Criminal Investigation. And then I had an absent for the FBI, but they asked me if I'd apply for the DCI. And I thought, what the heck? There's a freeze on hiring mm -hmm. federally. Mm -hmm. I'll give it a shot. And I fell in love with the moment I started. You, you ended up uh, taking, uh, I mean, you're in position there. You you ran the, that yeah, over there, director of the DCI. Director yeah, of the DCI. Last four years, yeah. That uh, out of all those uh, years there, what's the most memorable case you ever worked on? <laughs> you know what? The, people ask that all the time. I worked so many homicides, um, you know, and it was just extremely rewarding, the lives that you touch. Right. Um, you, you, you actually share in some moments that, you know, when you go home at night, you cry. Well, that's a, that, that covered that, that job covered the whole state. It did. So 99 counties, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, they call you in, the smaller departments call you in when they have a homicide yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, the DCI is just a request for services organization. I mean, local law enforcement had to call you in. But, uh, yeah, we just brought calm to chaos. I mean, we just provided the resources and the expertise. And, and Was it always homicides or were there other kinds of crimes that you had? Well, there was a lot of political cases that we worked. I got to work the Mango Back 40 case where... The legislator got the blow job at the the, the bar. <laughs> yeah. How does how do you investigate that? Carefully. Enjoyably. Yeah, I just was there what's the evidence like on that? I, I don't it was short in that case. <laughs> short and not that Oh, that, that, but you had a lot of, a lot of cases, a lot oh, of yeah. variety and stuff. I think yeah. you worked with my cousin for years, Vic Marillo. Oh God. I love Vic. Yeah. He was in, he was in the criminalist. He's still there. He's, he's, I think getting close to retirement. Yeah, I he think. is. Yeah. yeah. I've yeah. talked to him. I think he's eligible, but he just kind of hangs on, you know? Yeah. He's, I think he's as close to an expert in his field. Oh, he's an expert Absolutely. in the ballistics. Yes. And, yep. Yeah. So he's Absolutely. a, he's a technician there. Yeah. yeah uh, what, what's his title, John? Criminalist. Yeah. Criminalist. Criminalist. Yeah. Okay. You, you know, one that bothered me, and I've been to a lot of homicide scenes over my police career, Chief. But, the, well, but I, I think I'm going to tell you. The, the, Straight well, diner? That bothered me. But I'll yeah. tell you what got to me just as much or more, maybe, just because of, of I know how I know what happened there mm -hmm. and where it happened. That goofy bastard that killed that hunter down by Rathbun yes. here a couple years ago, yeah. 
I have Roger's been down to my farm down there. That happened a mile south of my property. And I know what happened. I'm sure you do too. That just rattled my cage because I've been down there hundreds of times and to, to know that some goofball was out stalking a hunter in the middle of nowhere like that and did to that guy what he did. That was like a Stephen King horror movie to me. It's like, ah. Oh. So, you know, I've always, I always carry, you know, Gaston Glock with me when I'm down. He's my best friend. <laughs> He's, He's best on my friend. hip. But I, that one rattled me. Yeah. That, that was terrible. Well, I yeah. just got to imagine you've seen so many of those. Oh, yeah. We, you know what? My wife goes, you are a freak. You, you're the only person I know that loves to get up in the morning and go to work. And I do. I just love the challenge of putting that puzzle together and then mm-hmm. holding people accountable for the crimes mm-hmm. that they committed. You know, Roger, you asked me one of the you know most significant cases. One that one that I guess yeah. affected you the most personally. Uh, I one. can't I can't I can't say that it affected me the most, you know, because I think I'm tainted, you know, a little bit sure. mentally. But yep. yeah, I know. It was uh, Don Piper, you know, he was our serial murderer, killed five women in Des Moines. Um, he's the only documented oh, serial that. murder in, yeah, yeah. in, in Iowa, mm-hmm. in the history of Iowa. And I uh, remember fully that. Fully functional here in Des Moines. And it was a lot of fun, great challenge, held him accountable. So did Des Moines call you in to help with that? or was You know that, what? Was that it, a... He was hitting the suburbs. Oh, So it was okay. West Des Moines, Clive. And I remember uh, that. DC I mean, I was, that was, what year was that? Probably it was, uh, 70s? No, it was in the 80s, yeah. uh, early 90s, I think 92. Is that guy still alive? Is he in jail? Yeah, he's, he's in Fort Madison, the, the new Fort Madison down there. He's hanging out in Norman, yeah. Well. Yeah, just hanging out with the guys, you know, having a good time. I went uh, I went down to <laughs> Clorinda one time when I was with KIOA. The yeah. uh, gal that works in the prison invited me down there to give some prisoners who were being released a, a Bon Voyage speech. <laughs> Do you have a cake? And, uh, what, is, what does that consist oh, of? Yeah, well, yeah. I've never been, I've sent plenty of people to prison, as have really? you, but I've never actually gone inside one. And so I go there and they make me get rid of my weapons, badge, sharps, keys, just like you I'm feel being naked, booked. don't yeah. you? Yeah. So I'm in the hallways there and lunchtime's just getting over. And those guys in there, they can smell a cop. And I'm walking <laughs> with this gal going to this cafeteria where I'm going to give this speech. And they're walking by me. Hey, man, it's 5 0. You know, yeah. and oh, then yeah. one of them said something to me, and I said, "Hey, why don't you kiss my?" And, and, and the gal there says, "Shut up, we're in their house." <laughs> and she's right. <laughs> yeah, you're in their house. It's one oh, of you. And, well, they're better armed than you are. I oh can my tell god, you that. probably. Yeah. You know, and, and they're they're all wearing them little foam slippers and them little jumpsuits. With the <laughs> they got their shanks the up their rear or something. I don't know. They're gonna pull that out. On you. You're gonna get it, bro. Uh, that was weird. So, uh, tell us about Waukee. What? Uh, yeah. How big is the apartment? Uh, 30 officers and three civilians. And how big, Waukee's grown like, I mean, the fastest growing city in the state. We right? average six new residents a day. Six new residents a day. <laughs> yeah, we do. So what are you up to now? How many people? Well, okay. unofficially, probably 26, 27,000. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And building schools out there, like they're just going to, you know, uh, the high schools. What do you got, two of them now? Two high schools, yep. Yeah. Northwest and then the Waukee High School. Now, a lot of turmoil going on in Des Moines. They yep. pulled their SROs out of the schools. Yeah, absolutely. Where I'm hearing now they're rethinking that. That that <laughs> brain fart, you know, whoever the genius was who came up with that is now backpedaling. Yeah. Uh, you guys have never done that. You've always, you guys have guys in the schools out there. Yeah, we have a great collaborative effort with the community school district out there in Waukee. Uh, Brad Buck is just a phenomenal individual, but it transcends far beyond, you know, before he got there. But, um, 
it's a it's a great relationship and they recognize the value of our officers in those schools the networking the relationship building and then just being mentors and coaches to those kids too yeah. positive impact it just benefits everybody and not only that enhances safety security for the students for the faculty and also the visitors you have a full uniform yes oh, yeah. absolutely because i was talking to uh, chris said that when he came in west des moines uh, his guys they originally were in plain clothes no. detectives and they were investigating crime versus doing no. more of that and he switched it over yep. and, and uh i i just think that's a great program and i i oh, could is. never understand why des moines well i know what happened it wasn't des moines <laughs> police department it was uh school administrators up there with their head up their butt you know and they let a few small few influence what they did and uh by having them there i mean the kids levitate to those people oh i said that i mean they, they come to those officers and you became First name basis with them. And, and well, it's not. It's not so much that. It's it's that when when those kids graduate, right? You know what? That's the foundation for the future, right there. And then they, they teach their kids. Hey, cops are good. You know, they you, you have fun. You have real great relationships. I can't tell you the number of times that some of our ex SROs who are uh-huh. now on the street. The kids just come up to him and say, hey, Mr. Cunningham, how you doing, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm like, who is that? And they go, oh, he graduated seven years ago. And guys, the kid's excited to see the officer. Right, right. They have that much of a powerful impact. And it's positive. It really is. Now, now you guys run three shifts out there. Yep, it's we do. Pretty, pretty much 630, kind of similar like the other guys, 630, 230, 230, 1030, 1030, 630. Yeah, we do. We, we do the eight and a half similar. hour shifts. Some do, do 10, some do 12. Do, do that. You've yeah. got uh, investigative division, yep, patrol we division. we started that, yep. And probably administrative We division. call it our community protection division because patrol is just so, def- you know, limiting. Animated. Our guys are so yeah. diverse in, in the services they provide on the street. It's more just community-based, community-oriented policing. Have you guys got much into mental health? Have we? And, I, and, and we brought this again with the other departments. And I know Des Moines got a program now where they're putting a guy in their dispatch, a psychiatrist type guy, yeah. mental health guy, uh, and they've trained him. West Des Moines has a, an officer, I think, trained, or they did some special training. Des Moines yep. sent uh, a contingent of their dispatchers and officers down to a large department in Texas here mm-hmm. recently to Houston. see their program. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I mean yeah. mental health is a big deal, I think, to, in today's oh. police work. Absolutely. You know, it was something that was contained in the closet. Today, um, it impacts so many different people, and it's something that needs to be addressed in the in the light. Right. And so it hits every home. It, there's no one that's immune to it. And the thing is, the moment we realize that and we take away that stigmatism associated with it, the better off we're going to be. And it's interesting that you talk about this subject because um, I've been in communication with Darcy Ald, who is the Dallas County Mental Health Director. Mm-hmm. And so we've gotten all the Westcom chiefs. And so we're going to meet in uh, January. We're going to sit down and hash out a program that best fits our needs. Uh-huh. And not only the needs of the Westcom, you know, departments, but the actual individuals themselves. And when you say Westcom departments, you're talking about West Moyne, Clive, Urbandale, Milwaukee, and Milwaukee, Newark. Yeah. And and uh, when you have an incident, you don't use Polk County. Who well, do you use? You don't have anybody to use right now. No, we do. Do you have a crisis unit? Where, we do. Where's that? Mobile from? crisis Mobile. unit from Dallas County. That's Dallas County has one. She's okay. in charge of it. There's a lot of resources out there, but we need to address this thing head on. We need to get out in front of it because it's only it's a problem that's only going to grow. I won't say it's a problem. It's an issue that needs to be addressed. Well, we, I talked today, and we were talking about this earlier. We said, you know, back in the day when we'd take calls, all your violent calls, all the violent ones, those people were in some kind of mental health crisis, it seemed like. Yeah. You know, I mean, a 
person who's not in a mental health crisis doesn't pull a gun on another person. And, and doesn't, you know, uh, they're, they're having some kind of issues. And sometimes they're drug-related. Sometimes they're alcohol-related. Right. Yep. Sometimes they're just mental health-related. But uh, I see this trend in law enforcement. It's a good trend that you're talking about yeah. is going to, we need to address the problem, not just the jails aren't the problem. Or the, that's not the solution all the time. It's well, just put them in jail. Well, uh, the problem is it has been the solution because the criminal justice system is the largest provider of mental health services in the world, in the United States anyway, for sure. And so with that, you know, that's where they're getting their treatment. That's where right. they're getting their medications, and that's where they're setting them free. And the problem is there's no follow-up with it. And so they get out. They feel great. I don't need the drugs. They get off it, and then they revert right back to that behavior. So kind of, yeah, especially with. the alcohol, you know, dries them out yeah. and stuff like that. Well, and, and the other guys, I, I think there's just got to be better solutions because I'm sure you have people that call up once a week. These are, and you only go, oh, it's that same guy is calling same. And if we wish he would get on his meds or, you know, I mean, we say that about Dave a little bit, you know, yeah, <laughs> you can say it about me too. You know, uh, I don't think the general public chief has any real concept of how much time police officers spend dealing with people with mental illness yep, and transporting them to local ERs or other facilities for help calming them down, cooling them down. I, I just don't think the public really understands just what a huge role police officers play in that whole mix. Well, you know, it's not just the the time that we spend on it, mm -hmm. but l let's look at it this way. So mental health call. And so we dispatch a police vehicle. Mm -hmm. We dispatch an EMS ambulance. We dispatch a fire truck. Mm -hmm. And then you got all those, you know, public safety providers that mm -hmm. are accompanying those vehicles. And you look at the wear and tear on the vehicles, you look at the time that's consumed, the salary base, it is a large oh, amount yeah. of resources and money that are really being deployed and used. And it's not a great utilization of those resources. No. We're not maximizing our potential. And so those are the things that we have to sit down and look at. In fact, I've tasked um, Darren Rainey, who's the chief um, over with Westcom, and so he's our communication center director. Sure. Asked him, I said, hey, give me the stats associated with all deployment of what we call resources towards these mental health calls for service. And so right now we're collecting all the statistics. We're trying to find out if we can put a dollar figure to how much money is spent on these calls associated with mental health. And then if we can, you know, do we need to divert or develop a diversion program where maybe it goes to, you know, crisis, mobile crisis where they can come out and handle it as compared to the police, compared to the meds, compared to. Once you establish the there's no violence there, but they, you know, yeah, this absolutely. is an early follow-up thing or something that they can do. Yeah, yeah because I, I firmly believe that police officers through repetitive calls to service for people with emotional <laughs> problems, I firmly believe that they develop a unique ability to about 95% of the time connect with these yep. people and de-escalate this. Yes. And a lot of times other providers, they'll look at me and say, how'd you do that? <laughs> you know, and you read people. Yes. You know, you can tell if somebody's just needing somebody to get in their column with them and listen to them, or maybe they're not being heard, or maybe they just need somebody to be with them and take off into another room and just shoot the breeze. You, you, you develop that talent, if you will, as a police officer. You right? do, absolutely. And the, and the problem was we had to develop that because of the fact that there were no other resources exactly. that we could rely upon. And I don't want my officers to be street corner therapists. 
That's no, the best right. way to put it. I don't right. want yeah, them no. to do that. There's professionals out there mm-hmm. that can provide this service yeah. and need to be there present with these individuals. And so with that, that's the reason why we're looking at investing into other programs, other alternatives, diversion programs, so that we can get the right resources to these individuals and then address their needs. Now, Chief, we're seeing a trend, and we saw it this week a little bit, with this TikTok yep. stuff. Did you guys experience anything over, oh, yeah. over there? Yeah, uh, threats? Was that... Yeah, in, did any students in your system make any threats, or was that just a general thing? That Well, it was a nationwide TikTok initiative, and so and it was the third wave. First of all, it was the destruction of property associated with schools. Then right. it was the essential inf- impact on teachers, whether it be touching them, hitting them, assaulting, them, assaulting yeah. them. And then it, this one came into where it was a bomb threat, where it was a active shooter type thing. Yeah, we had that. What do you, what do you think the answer is to stopping this? I'll tell you one I'd like to see happen. And I know that groups like the ACL will go bonkers over this. But for juveniles during school, they should shut their cell phone off with the exception of being able to dial 911 or their parents' phone numbers. Well, I, no I, cameras, no nothing. I, I from, agree from with eight, that. 8 to 4, Monday through Friday, your cell phone's disabled except for being a call for an emergency service. I, I agree with that. I, I agree with that. But this is, this is something that happened outside of they outside of school and Dave, I think you may have been they, involved. But they in do this. it at school. Too. Is that where that's yes, happening? They, they're what they're sending these these videos and they think it's cute. They think it's funny. And it, going back to what the chief was just talking about, you talk about deploying resources. Think about what happened in West Des Moines. They had five cars and officers and others at Stillwell. One at, school because these these kids are clowning around on a mechanism we never had when we went to middle school or high school. You know, they they don't need that thing, uh, and it's just it's just a source of. Problems. Did you guys did you guys have one of those incidents where you had to go out to a school, or you just kind of alerted everybody to be on the lookout, or, or how did that? No, we we worked diligently with the Waukee Community School District. Um, came up with a game plan, got the message out to all the parents, and then we as a as a department came up with a strategy as to how we're going to deploy our resources. So we have a thing called unobligated time, and that is when they're not on a call for service. Uh-huh. And so we told them, park in front of a school, stop into the school, just just let people know that they'll we're have physically a presence. Yeah. present there and that we are actually there to protect them. So I made it a point to, to drive around to the, you know, the majority of the schools. Our officers had them covered, too. Um, yeah, you know, I, I love my team because, in fact, um, we got a call from tick, this TikTok initiative, whatever yeah. happened, whatever you want to call it, where um, it was specific towards the South Middle School and the fact that it was w- within this core group of about 30 students. They mm-hmm. were communicating, saying that there was going to be a bomb go off the next day. And so we interviewed my guys stayed up till almost one in the morning interviewing all 30 of those kids, ensuring that there was no one there that had any intent on harming anybody it was just shared information amongst the group they don't know who spread it and so we were there and we had a heavy presence at the south middle right. school the problem was is that you know at northwest on that day friday mm-hmm. there were 400 students that weren't in school just because of yeah they were worried yep. in others there were we averaged about 200 students 200 to 150 that weren't present at school these are kids that are it's impacting their educational mm-hmm. you know ability to learn and so we want them to feel safe in the schools, but the problem is it's things like this, this TikTok situation that caused them fear, and I hate that. I really do. Do you, yeah, think, do you think that's the purpose of this is just to get out of school? Is I don't know what it is. Terrorize I really people? I mean, 
today you have those shootings. And when you actually have a shooting in a school and then somebody does this, it makes you wonder, what what's the purpose in this stupidity? I don't right? think the kids that are involved in it truly fully understand the magnitude of what they're doing. And they also operate under the false premise that there's no ramifications, repercussions, or consequences for doing this. And they find out, like them kids at Stillwell, they found out differently. <laughs> right, you yeah, know? Right. So you, 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 play game, you play with fire, you're going to get burned. Yeah, and, well, and the, par- the parents need to set their middle school and uh, high school kids down and tell them, do not do this. It's, you know, you're going to be you're going to be out of school. Yeah. You'll be learning from home, from your room, or, or something like that. Well, or, see, that's, or worse. that's the core to everything. You just hit the nail yeah. right on the head, and that is, it starts at home. Exactly. And, it's, and instead of having the teachers be the parents, yeah, the parents need to do the parenting. Yeah. Now that's and nobody talks about that that much. I don't know whether it's politically incorrect or whatever. But if I acted the way a lot of these kids do today in school. I wouldn't want to go home. My dad would have kicked my ass up between my shoulder <laughs> we, blades. We had a guest on uh, uh, last week, Nicole Hassel. She's running for, for city action spot. She's a Republican. And uh, she's a person of color. And her son's person of color went to the basketball game with me. And I asked her this question. I said, Nicole, do you talk to your son about how to interact with law enforcement? How to, uh, because he's, he's a person of color, deal. Is he scared or are you scared about the interaction? And she said, I don't talk to him about how to interact, uh, interact with that, uh, with law enforcement. I talk to him as a parent how to interact with people, period. Mm-hmm. I parent my child. I tell them, keep your head up, look them in the eye, talk clearly, show respect, be respectful. Mm-hmm. If you have a problem with somebody, you deal with There's a certain way to do it. If more parents would do that, and Dave, and kind of what you're talking about, more parents would take get involved in that instead of showing their kids that, that, you know, you know, I'm going to side with you and yeah, the school's wrong or that police officer's wrong. It'd be a better place. You should never blanketly condone inappropriate behavior as a parent because that sends a message that that's okay. It's okay to do that. And then they go off and do all sorts of stupid things. John, something we always talk about with the chiefs on here. uh, We talk about squad cars a little bit Mm -hmm. because we, we kind of have an interest in that and we we uh, do that. You guys run Fords out there, don't you? Uh, we run a mixture of Fords have and you, also Chevys. So you run that new Tahoe that they yep, got? we do. How do you like that? How do you, how do you think they compare? Uh, Price-wise, they're pretty similar, aren't they? Uh, actually, the, the Tahoes are cheaper. It's because of the uh, one of the programs that Ford has, and I won't get into it. But uh, yeah. anyway, with that, it makes the, the Tahoes actually cheaper. Size wise, the, the oh, they're the a lot roomier. Than, they're a lot more. Uh, yeah, we we drive explorers, yep. police, police pursuit explorers, and the guys don't like the new ones because they they reduced the shoulder room for the big guys. They kind of made them into the Dodge the Dodge Chargers that look really cool. The State Patrol drives, right, right? But you can't see out of them real well, but they look good. <laughs> and the, and the Explorer is more streamlined than the Tahoe, but the Tahoe has more room. Period, and they've vastly improved it too. Uh, does Absolutely. the Does the Ford have that feature? The Tahoes have a feature where if the officer has to bail out of the car, you can bail out, and the car will come to a stop. <laughs> It'll drive. It won't go crazy. It'll keep driving. I don't know. Does the Fords have that same feature? Uh, the ones we have don't. Boy, no. that that I mean, we were up at Carl's place yeah. up there, and we were going taking a tour, and they were showing us the new. New trucks and like I said, we're we got to bill Carl for this because we promote him. But, but uh, <laughs> well, it's it, he's got a hell of a facility. Have you been up there, Carl Emergency Services? Well, that's where our vehicles are yeah. worked on and everything. Oh, is. So yeah. yeah, I'm sure you have been. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, that, I you know haven't been a police officer as long as I have been and seeing this transpire, you know, repetitively as you get cars in and out of your fleet. 
I've never been to a shop like that where he was one-stop service for a patrol car being purchased, outfitted, and then coming into service and going out. He'll, he'll take your trades, too. I, and he's doing a heck of a business up yeah. there. I just think that it's also a cost saver for a lot of municipalities, too, because yeah. let them do it. You Competitive pricing. Have, yeah. yeah absolutely. They, 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 do, they do a heck of a job. Do, uh, have and you remember, seen? remember, uh, Carl Moyer, this is Dave Merrill and Roger French <laughs> plugging you for free. Cop Talk USA. Yes. It's a good buy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, have you seen much, uh, you know, speaking of the social justice and police reform, have you guys seen any of that out in your way, in your neck of the woods? Any protests, any of that kind of thing over the last couple of years? Or you years? know what? I'm not going to say they're protests because protests to me, you know, it has a negative stigmatism to it. Right. It really does the word protest itself. I would sit there and say that there were social initiatives that were freely, I guess, presented in a positive fashion out in Waukee. Really? I mean, yeah. I mean, we, you look at the, the marches that they had. We had several of those out there. Um, one from the South Middle School up to the Public Safety Building. One was um, over from Hy-Vee, you know, Hickman Road, then mm-hmm. went over to the Palms Theater, Dartmoor, and then came back. And just a phenomenal event. It was uh, it was non-disruptive. It was wasn't actually, aggressive towards the law enforcement at all? Absolutely not. In fact, you know, it, it was very well organized. It was organized by the students there at the... Uh, Waukee High School. Okay. They actually marched down. The mayor marched with them. Um, so what outside influences coming in, you know? You the, know what? There were some there, but, you know, I think that they, they were recognized, you know, it's like know your audience. And so they recognized exactly who was actually participating in this thing, what the reasoning was for, and the fact that they just wanted to show that, you know, there needs to be some reform in policing, and there does. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. you know, and we've changed so much already. But especially Dave, from when we started the oh, law yeah, enforcement to yeah. where we are today. Yeah. But you know, when you when they came in there, they had speeches there. They allowed me to talk to the crowd, um, it, and it was just a very, to me, beneficial statement that these kids did and made to a community that was willing to listen. And it was very well received, and I'll, I'll tell you, I was proud of Waukee for those events. Yeah, it sounded like you guys had a more positive response than we've heard from others, and, and you know, kudos to the to the folks out there for understanding it's a conversation. Start the conversation. Yep. It's not a, you know, yelling match or name calling or it's nothing right, about that. Right, exactly. Well, I got a question for you, Chief. My yeah. wife and I, uh, her parents lived in Waukee for years, and we were out in Waukee you know, a couple of days ago. Man, that was a, that's a breach of security. I got I got I got <laughs> to talk to guys about that. I know. Here's my question. <laughs> I heard a rumor and it seems this way to me that the western suburban edge of Waukee now goes to Harlan, Iowa. Is that true? No, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> Hickman like never ends. It just goes, it just and goes. keeps going and going. Are we and still going. in Waukee, baby? Yes, we are. <laughs> well, that's, that's a bedroom community though. It really it's is. It's a great it? community. That's just a bedroom community. Used to be, Roger. It used to be something where people wake up and they leave the community, and during the day, there's nothing going on. And today, that is not true. Get some I mean, growth out there. Yeah, it is. Yo, John, I, mean, I remember when my in-laws there. first bought their land. They they bought land north of the Des Moines Golf and Country Club on University yeah. by homes of Brentwood, and they owned all that land and sold it, blah, blah, blah. But I remember leaving, going over the interstate, and there was a DOT shop there on University. Yep. And the minute you got past that, it turned to gravel. 
going yeah. to Waukee. Do you remember we used to go out to Alice's restaurant? Yes. And there was gravel yes. out there. Yeah. Right? yeah. Oh my gosh. It was so much fun. If we would have there. only known, <laughs> if we would have bought land, you and I never would have gone into police work. Oh my gosh. No. <laughs> He'd be a land baron. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Yeah. yeah. Well, you never know. Now, Waukee, I'll tell you what, they've got a bright future. I've got a year left in it. Um, it's been probably the most, you know, I, we did, we accomplished great things when I was with the DCI. But the problem was is that we were state jurisdictional agency. And what I mean by that is we would go to the local law enforcement, we'd, we'd resolve the crime, and then we'd leave the community. Right. And now that I've had an, the ability to actually invest in the community, invest in its people, and invest in its future, it is the most rewarding time of my life. And I, I, I can't thank the city of Waukee enough for the experiences, the, you know, the way they've made me feel. They've uh, extended an olive branch to me. And then also the type of policing that we do. Right. I mean, we're, we're strictly about transparency and operations and also about community outreach. Well, you're a humble guy, John, and I know you don't like, you know, blowing your own horn, but I'm going to tell you, your reputation with the DCI and your reputation with Waukee has been nothing but outstanding. Well, I appreciate You've that. You've always been looked at as a solid, a, a competent guy who's well-spoken, who's going to go out and get the job done. And you and I, Knew we have known each other for decades yep. when you were with DCI, I was with Des Moines, and uh, we need a lot more chiefs of police like you. Well, so. I appreciate that. I really do. But I'll tell you what, when you retire, yes, sir, and I've done that once, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to think you're on vacation for a while, <laughs> that, that you're going back, and you ain't going back, brother. <laughs> I, I have a hunch that some golf is in his Oh, I can see bit. golf. Yeah. I can see warm weather. Yeah. Maybe yeah. some beaches. Yeah. You, know, you know what I'm going to retire to? I'm going to retire to my family. Yeah. Um, okay. And I, I got to say this out, you know, just get it out there. My, I, I am blessed with my wife because she literally, and Dave, you know this, when you get in law enforcement, you have that passion. Yeah. You know, it, it was intense for me. And so mm-hmm. my main focus a lot of times was about, the job. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I yeah. lost, I lost sight sometimes about the prioritization of that delicate, yep. you know, family business. And, I did too. And, uh, my wife has always been one that's been able to ground me and to sit there and say, mm, come here and sit down, come here, shut up, mm-hmm. come here, be here with the family. Yeah. They need you now. And yeah. so, and it's because of that, that, you know, she got a lot of times, Dave, you know, oh, yeah. and long, she raised the kids. Yeah. And uh, just did a phenomenal job. She's been, you know, a phenomenal team member of mine. She's been a partner and my best friend. And so I'm yeah. blessed. And that, and yeah. a lot of people don't have that in their life, yeah. but I do. And so you guys say, you know, hey, what, one person said, you know what? I, I know what you're retiring from, but I worry about what you're retiring to. And I, I laugh and smile because I'm retiring to my family. Yeah. It's going to yeah. be fun. You know, really bless bless you. You're, you're, and bless yeah. your wife. You know, you, you yeah. hit the nail right on the head. Uh, cops who are in the game for decades sometimes lose track of how critically Whew. important and supportive their spouses are. Yeah. And I did that once upon a time and, and got back on track. And they worry about us. Are, are we coming home? What, when we when they watched the news on TV and you and I were there, you know, while yeah. the news was being broadcast, <laughs> investigating the news, our spouses are at home worried sick. And then we're so wrapped up in all the minutia of the, of the job that you don't realize the stress it puts on our spouses. And so God bless all the wives and husbands oh and police well, officers. It's important when you retire too, to have a plan. 
Yeah. You oh, know, yeah. we've seen officers that retire that sometimes it doesn't go so well, but I think for the most part, I think, you know, being with your family, going someplace, taking her and yep. something she deserves. I mean, that makes sense. Yep. Makes total sense. Otherwise, you're going to end up like Dave Morello. <laughs> you, know, you know what? That's I could, scary. <laughs> I could only aspire to be as successful as Dave is. Yeah. I, I just really. Yeah. Big Dave. This is this is a highlight of my it's day. Santa Dave here. What do you, you got big plans for Christmas? You, are, do you, I, are you, you're not going to the bowl or are you going to the bowl? Are you going down there? No, uh, my wife just got back last night. Well, actually, she got back this morning. She flew in at 2 a.m. Um, and so to turn do a turnaround and go right back to Florida, oh. you know, it's not going to pay dividends. And yeah. so, but I've got family coming in. I, I, I was an abused child growing up. I have, I had five sisters. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so with that, we're all going to get together. You're going to um, relive some memories. Yeah, we are. Abuse you. Oh, my gosh. I'll tell you what, growing up in a house of five sisters, oh my gosh. Wow, some stories I could tell. But anyway, um, I've got a sister coming in from Columbus. I got uh, some that possibly might come up from Kansas City, right. Olathe area. And so we're all going to get together these next few days and kind of just uh, share memories of, you know, our mom cool. and dad who both passed. And yeah. just kind of catch up with uh, who and what we are and, you know, where we are today. Well, look, you, you know, uh, we've had you on today and I appreciate you coming on. It's been a great show. We're over an hour now. Yeah. So, you know, we've been going uh, good. I, I, I knew this <laughs> I do, guy. I do talk. Now, we, we'd be here for three or four hours. <laughs> we got to get you yeah. back on the show. Yeah, I'd love I, to. Cause I, you know, there's always stuff going on. You're, you're going to be in place for another year. Yes, I am. another year out there. So, and of course we're going to be talking about yep. cycling basketball. Hey, and doing there's something doing. I want to ask though, a favor from the two of you. Oh, uh -oh. that is that Dave, listening. when you come to Waukee, could you let me know, give me some advance notification. <laughs> <so I can. laughs> yeah, you need that. You need that because, well, I, I, I very seldom let him come in my neighborhood. <laughs> I get nosebleeds coming out here, John. <laughs> he, 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 I, the first thing I noticed out in Waukee, I told my wife, I said, there ain't too many Mexicans out here, you know? We had Ray Gallardo was, was out here, him and David. They were standing out front, and some neighbors came walking by, and Gallardo turns to me and goes, hey, I'll give you a quote for that roof up there. <laughs> Gallardo, hey, you know, I'll, give you some, I'll give you some price for that lawn care. <laughs> but anyway, look, it's been great having it's, you on. Yes. Thank and, you. And Outstanding. I, uh, you do a great job out there, and the citizens, really quick, do you have a transition plan in place? Do you know who's going to replace you? No, not yet. Um, I've City Administrator Mormon, who actually is retiring April 1st, um, and then I'm going to be heading out the door afterwards. There's going to be a little bit of separation in time for um, his transition to take place. Brad Dietz taken over um, with the city. He's already in, uh, the assistant city administrator. Okay. So phenomenal individual. They'll do a search, probably, same thing. And I think— it, I think what they're going to do for the police department, they're going to do a nationwide search. Yeah. And so yeah, it's with that standard, it's it good, is, it's a good job. It's a good job. There's, I've got three lieutenants. Any one of the three could step up and continue on with the initiatives that we've got, the momentum, the culture. Right. Um, they recognize the city, the politics. They recognize the, the biggest thing is the customer base, our, right. our community members. So yeah. hopefully well, they'll look internal and also take on the outside and we we'll just kind of see who fares out. Always support Waukee. You know, my dad was a big supporter of Waukee. Yes, he was. You know, he, he loved yeah. you. Too. I love, I love loved him. you, especially in Vegas. We got to be here. <laughs> we'll keep, we'll keep those stories quiet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the limo. Hey, what <laughs> happens in Vegas does stays, not stay in, does not stay. <laughs> oh yeah. We got some. Well, look, John, thanks yeah. for coming out, my friend. Absolutely. Chief, Thank, great you. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Happy holidays. Yeah. Thank you. Same to your wife. Well, there, there's no one in the show in the can. Time, time right? flies. We got, yep. we got to, we got to get John back. on. Oh, we, we will. Him. We'll get him back here. You know, uh,
absolutely when he retires, just so he can tell us how that feels when he's yeah. a free man. When he's free, he can, yeah. he can tell the, the untold yeah. stories, all the secret stories. And on a final note here, uh, Roger and I, on behalf of the uh, Cop Talk podcast, we want to wish all of our listeners uh, a very Merry Christmas and the best of the new year. Enjoy your family and friends. Stay safe, and we'll talk at you soon. Absolutely. Happy New Year's, everybody. See you guys. You've been listening to Cop Talk USA with your hosts, Marillo and French.